Fantasy people, welcome back to another True North Fantasy Football Quick Hitter. Ty's going to continue his best ball series today talking about stacks on stacks on stacks. He's going to take you through how stacking players can be beneficial to your roster and help you stack some chips. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check out the rest of our content and let's get it. Yo! Hoy hoy! Welcome back, welcome back. This is, of course, our best ball series north of the border here in majestic Victoria, British Columbia. I am Tyrell McLaughlin. You can find me on Twitter at TNFF Tyrell. And you can follow all mine and Travis's work at TrueNorthFFB.com and at TrueNorthFFB on Twitter. So, nitty gritty committee, I'm always fitting to talk some best ball with y'all. Sacket. Sacket. Pitch a two-player swing. Three. Sacket. Sacket. Give me the topic. Two. I have a world champion sacker here. You gotta live down here. 60% of the time. Sacket. Sacket. In the impulse zone. Starts for a second. It works every time. We could put all our eggs in one basket. Sacket. Sacket. I like to live dangerously. You wanna be like me? Tinker with your ticker. Sacket. 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 I also like to live dangerously. You gotta make nap decisions. The most amazing stackers that I know. And today on the Darnell Dock, it is not stacking chips, not stacking cups, but stacking offensive weapons. We'll get into why to stack and when to stack, because this conversation usually centers around quarterbacks and pass catchers, but it's a far broader topic, reaching way beyond wide receivers and signal callers. Stacking, as defined by the True North Dictionary, just means we're going to chase high variance in spiked weeks. Knowing the relationships between certain players' fantasy production really does offer stacks for days. So we identify teams and players' ADPs from those teams who don't reflect the outcomes we see unfolding in the upcoming season. So we want to find end results just off the beaten path with our Magic 8 balls and we prioritize stacking from those teams. And we know stacking is kind of a hotly debated topic, so I'll tell you guys why we should be stacking. When we capitalize on predicted outcomes, stacking gives our fantasy team huge spiked weeks. We maximize upside. It's a classic what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And yeah, your quarterback is usually the goose. And nah, I'm not making a Top Gun joke. History is also on the side of stacking. Most league winners and winning rosters do include stacks and best balls. They actually see around a 13% win rate compared to the 8.3 average that the 1 in 12 offers you in a normal best ball. It is a bit of a fudge number, but win rates clearly show stacking is a strategy we should implement. Because any way you interpret win rates, they show an advantage you get stacking. And the real why we stack is a topic for debate. So to get deep on you guys, I'll give you my interpretation of why we should stack. And so the reason I'm hashtag team stack lies in the assumption that fantasy football is won by having the most points at the end of the year. This is a bit of a misconception. We should instead try for the biggest spiked weeks, not the most season total points, but the most points on a weekly basis. And stacking is a component that gives us this variance that can be the difference between the two. So that's more or less why we want to be stacking. The other most important question is definitely when do we want to stack? And when to stack is easier to answer than why. We just stack at cost. We don't force players from the same team on our rosters. And this is because we can't be perfect when predicting how an NFL season is going to unfold. If a situation goes south that we've stacked, there is very little room for error on that team. Meaning stacking can be risky and there's more risk when you do stack your early round picks. 
So as a shock to no one, I'll say roster construction and stacking should go hand in hand. We want stacks to fall into our laps. We can't be chasing them. So when you start a draft, check your draft position, and in relation to your draft position, lay out a skeleton of when to draft quarterbacks. This allows you to navigate your draft smoothly when deciding who you may want to stack later. That's why going into a draft assuming you're going to stack actually constitutes a structured team building. So to transition from my usual philosophical approach here, let's get to the nuts and bolts. So I earn my fee simply by pressing this play button. Pretty sweet, eh? We should always try and stack our quarterbacks. I know fantasy football drills into us that we need to wait on quarterback. Quarterbacks score so closely bunched and in large pockets that in redraft, this makes waiting on a quarterback while grabbing one near the end of a tier the hip thing and the correct thing to do. But for best ball, introduce stacking and that rule of thumb can be dismissed. We actually accept we should take quarterbacks at value, which is to say we're not reaching on them but we are going to take them where they land in our rankings. And so we use our elite players on our roster to choose when to draft quarterbacks and more importantly which quarterbacks within each tier to choose. So in between rounds 8 and 14 when we're looking to add quarterbacks, we're always looking to stack. Stack them and rack them. If you start a draft, New Hopkins or Devontae Adams, I may even bypass the early quarterback stigma. This can give you some of the biggest spike weeks by pairing Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers with an elite pass catcher on our roster. It's the rare scenario we're entertaining quarterback in the 7th round, and the only way we really do get shares of Aaron Rodgers. More we should look to pair our pass catchers and elite players with quarterbacks in rounds 9-12. to 12. This usually yields a top 12 quarterback and hopefully a great stack for your quarterback 1. Data shows an extremely strong tether between quarterbacks 30 point weeks and their team's top wide receiver. You even see wide receiver corps combining for 50, 60, and even 70 points at a shocking rate when the quarterback hits just 30 points. And now that you have one of these stacks on your roster, when we look for a quarterback too, when stacking is kept in mind, it's almost a process of elimination game. Because I do involve my quarterback too just as often in stacking. Because we have a specific profile to target as our quarterback too, it usually only leaves us 4-8 to eight candidates, so this can limit some stacking opportunities. But we're doing so to combat career regression and league losing stacks by avoiding older quarterbacks as our backups. Instead, we're targeting players like Lamar Jackson. He's my favorite quarterback in that range of the draft this offseason. And he can present a stack example for the ages. So once we draft our backup quarterback in Lamar Jackson, we may be looking for our tight end too. Looking at our tier of tight ends available, we see Delaney Walker, Mark Andrews, and Dallas Goddard. Now that we have Lamar Jackson on our roster, this decision is made easy. We maximize our roster by taking Mark Andrews, the player who actually led the Ravens in receiving in Lamar's starts last season. Now in the later rounds of our draft, we search for another specific profile player for our last couple wide receivers on our best ball roster. So up pops Antonio Callaway, Marquise Hollywood Brown, and Marquise Goodwin. With the Ravens quarterback 1 and tight end 1, adding their wide receiver 1 in Hollywood Brown is a no-brainer. Or no-browner. Actually, I guess that's the Steelers. <laughs> hey -o. But this can lock up the Baltimore Ravens passing attack that has nowhere to go but up. More importantly, you did so at little cost while just filling out your backups. The Ravens' offseason agenda signaled they will increase their passing volume. 
And speaking of volume, uh, Baltimore became the seventh team in the last five years to break the 1,100 play threshold. The 1,135 were the most plays from scrimmage ran since that 2014 Broncos team. But the Ravens stack does remain a best ball special. We wouldn't want that risk or roster clog in redraft. It's unlikely we would be carrying a backup quarterback plus a backup tight end in seasonal leagues. But with the cost associated, the profile of all those players, and their pension for spiked weeks, it's hard to argue against stacks like these in best balls. One of the more underappreciated strategies is stacking quarterbacks with running backs. This rug I have, it really tied the room together. Pairing a team's quarterback with their running back can be one of the highest leverage stacks in best ball. It carries extremely high upside if done so correctly. To find these gems, uh, Crash Bandicoot style, we look for a few things. Number one, we want a workhorse back who will receive the bulk of goal line carries. Then we want to pair these guys with their team's mobile quarterbacks who call their own number inside the five. You'll notice that most of these stacks include elite running backs. So remember not to chase this type of stack. For 2019, the easy obvious one, Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey. If you draft Christian McCaffrey, heavily target Cam Newton. We know the stack locks up the entire Panthers rushing attack and touchdowns. In 2018, those two combined for 70% of goal line carries. And over the last three seasons, the Panthers have averaged 16 rushing touchdowns as a team. So drafting Cam Newton on your Christian McCaffrey team builds locks in a rushing touchdown per game from one or the other, basically. If you draft Ezekiel Elliott instead of Christian McCaffrey, you can just as easily, if not more so, add Dak Prescott in the 11th to 13th round. In 2018, Dak and Zeke had 18 of the 19 carries inside the 5 for Dallas. And the Cowboys as a team have averaged 18 rushing touchdowns in Dak Prescott's 3-year career. And they say we can't chase touchdowns. (laughs) One quarterback running back stack we should hammer this season is Kyler Murray and David Johnson. We should be hitting this one every time we draft DJ. Despite the Chase Edmonds hype, DJ led the NFL in the percent of his team's carries inside the 5-yard line last year. He was the only player in the NFL who accounted for 100% of his team's goal line carries. And this will come down now that Kyler Murray's arrived, but David Johnson is cemented as the goal line back. And with Kyler Murray's fluctuating value, this is definitely one of my favorite stacks to make. I can also highlight a couple deep diggers I can't endorse but do interest me. One I see people exercise is Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram. This stack is definitely more speculative. Baltimore did have the most rushing attempts of any team in the last five years last season. And Lamar Jackson was 8th in the NFL among all players in red zone carries with 37, even though he was a quarterback. He averaged 17 carries a game, which is crazy. And Lamar Jackson derived 62% of his fantasy football points via the running game. That's the highest since 2000 and higher than players like Michael Vick, RG3, Tim Tebow. (laughs) The Ravens also entered 2019 having 13 red zone carries vacated. So introduce Mark Ingram, who's actually had 40 carries inside the 10-yard line over the last two seasons. But we do need to recognize that Lamar Jackson is the locked-in portion of this stack. Mark Ingram could regress due to his age, workload, or talent behind him on the depth chart. And there's no way Marky Mark will have as many carries inside the 10 with the Ravens as he had with New Orleans. And one no-no is definitely Chris Carson and Russell Wilson. I've seen others hitting the Russell Wilson-Chris Carson stack, but I'll go through some of the stats here. 
Chris Carson did have 13 of the 15 goal line rushes for Seattle last season, but Russell Wilson had zero. And I wanted to highlight this stack because Russell Wilson rushing on the goal line has never been a priority. So this stack would assume Russell Wilson will carve out a role in the goal line and that Chris Carson will hold off first round pick Rashad Penny. You can go William Wallace on stacking too. You can fight history. Ben Roethlisberger and James Conner would be a stack that's a play on historical data. Big Ben has always struggled on the road and the Steelers lean heavily on the run game when away from Pittsburgh. And along the same vein, Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darno are also intriguing. In fact, they might be the only two players I could see paying off their ADP under Adam Gase. But Sam Darno did show drastic splits in his rookie year at home, and it's possible they continue the trend Le'Veon Bell has shown being a beast in road games. And there's a few other quarterback running back stacks I do like, but it's only due to their price. And they definitely have a stay with me here vibe. Chicago likely looking to lean on their defense and minimize Mitch Trubisky given his limitations. An inexpensive stack is to pair Trubisky with who we speculate can serve as the Bears goal line role in Mike Davis. Or of course far more expensive doing so but you can pair him with David Montgomery as well. Besides pairing with quarterbacks running backs come into the stack game more than people realize so let's talk about stacking running backs. Yeah man it really tied the room together. I'll hit the hot button topic of handcuffing right off the bat. Handcuffing is a strategy I subscribed to in the past, but through experience and research, I've moved entirely off the handcuff debate. In the past, I've talked about scrutinizing your last year's best ball teams, identifying what you did right and what you did wrong, and a common mistake I was making was handcuffing. I commonly cuffed backups to my elite running backs. So number one, the backups almost always turned out to be wasted picks. Even if high variance hit and my elite running back was injured, the player I drafted to back him up rarely replaces production or fantasy points. Number two, I didn't always assess the correct handcuff. And number three, most of the time a gross running back by committee formed anyways. So I noticed that I was wasting a pick at the end of the drafts by handcuffing. This was then compounded in heartbreaking fashion by analyzing some of my league winners. In the same rounds, on league winning rosters, I took high upside running backs. I took running backs with buzz and ambiguous and or elite backfields with paths to fantasy relevance, even if they were narrow paths. And I'm talking players like Aaron Jones two years ago, Matt Breida, Philip Lindsay, and some examples were handcuffs from the 14th to 16th round that were even more depressing. <coughs> Alvin Kamara two years ago. The worst part was the leagues where I interchanged handcuffs for league winning candidates, a few of them were the difference between making the money and not. <laughs> so for the love of God, don't handcuff. <laughs> like adding an Alexander Madison to a Dalvin Cook team build may feel like an obligation, but Mike Boone could be playing ahead of the rookie or Dalvin Cook could be healthy all season. But the most likely scenario is a running back by committee forms as the team veers more to the pass with two elite wide receivers and two capable tight ends. Stacking running backs from the same team is a very intriguing strategy, though. Let's call it uh, stack cuffing. That phrase is trademarked not to be used outside tradition, Ricky Bobby. Last year, you could have added Sony Michelle in the fifth or sixth, Rex Burkhead just afterwards, and James White in the tenth. And no matter how expensive that was, it was a profitable play so long as you hit on just one of your other three running backs on your roster. And two years ago, the Saints yielded an even better result. We took Mark Ingram early, Adrian Peterson in the eighth or ninth. <laughs> And the rookie who fit the bill of pass-catching niche player Sean Payton makes fantasy relevant annually, Alvin Kamara. He was a 12th or 13th round pick. 
So if you notice the theme, we attack deadly backfields. The New England Patriots have been top four in the NFL in points per game for five years running. Well, I'd like you to please leave. Should we take our hidden camera? Recently, they've produced two or three fantasy players from their one backfield. In 2018, the RB7 and RB35 came from the Patriots. In 2017, they hosted the RB15, RB38, and RB39. And in 2016, the Patriots produced the RB9 and RB26. So as Tom Brady has aged, Bill Belichick really has funneled the offense through the running backs. Meanwhile, the Saints have complimented Drew Brees by seeing their rush-to-pass ratio drastically swing to the run over the last two years. In 2016, they had 674 pass attempts and ran just 37% of the time. Fast forward two seasons, and they had only 519 pass attempts last season and ran the ball 48% of the time. Over those two seasons, the Saints have led the NFL in rushing touchdowns both seasons. They're the only team to break 20 touchdowns rushing in 2017 and 2018. And their 49 combined rushing touchdowns is by far the most in the NFL. So super secret tip, hammer the best backfields even three deep. That came out wrong. Did I say two? Better make it three. Some other instances to pair running backs is when we associate a quantity of risk with the starting running back. While we usually like to take the cheaper piece in these backfields, players who can serve similar roles and be interchanged in good offenses are decent pairings. But like most stacks, we only look to do so at cost. A few of my teams have both Aaron Jones and Dexter Williams, or Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards, and I referred to it earlier but unsure of who has the goal line role in Chicago, I had been reluctant to add David Montgomery despite his upside. But with Mike Davis dropping an ADP, I can add him to the same roster and lock down that role in their offense. And when we talk adding running backs at cost on the same offense, we really need to factor in NFL teams that can support two top 30 running backs. These teams offer defined roles, lucrative volume, and high variance. The high variance usually comes because we know if one of the players was to be injured, the other holds massive value. And we know the Saints, Patriots, and the Los Angeles Rams, so let's skip those offenses. In Seattle with offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer, they're running the ball at an inexplicably high rate. That's the simple part, dude. We make the handoff. And we can't forget that Mike Davis leaving that offense left 150 touches and some pass-catching upside behind. What do you say, where's the handoff? This makes Chris Carson and Rashad Penny offer tremendous upside. You can draft both of these players in rounds 5-7. through seven. The upside these two present lies in the Seahawks giving their running backs 20-plus carries on the regular. So even if this competition hot hands all season, having both locks in a weekly RB2 to plug into your lineup. And let's go to the Bay Area. Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida enter the discussion because they seem cheap to me. The theme is to find situations running backs have succeeded in the past and bridge the variance. Tevin Coleman can be added in the 6th round and Matt Breida is a double-digit round pick somehow. The zone run scheme Shanahan runs has always produced fantasy backs. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. And when we talk about running backs, we know the volatility the position comes with. But yep, we could stack that. A Benny Snell Jalen Samuels can be a play to bet on high variance. If James Conner was to be injured, we saw Jalen Samuels come in and produce as a top 12 running back. He and Benny Snell would be huge assets in fantasy if injuries stuck Conner again. Stacks like these are a very fine line though. We want to execute these stacks only in good offenses. Because we know the Cincinnati Bengals have a very similar dynamic with Gio Bernard and Travion Williams behind Joe Mixon. 
However, the Bengals historically do not ensure fantasy relevance from their backup running backs. And stacking can be used to combat game script even. Workhorse running backs can be paired with their team's pass catcher to counteract being stuck to the bench while his team is playing second half catch up. Groups like Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis are stacked to lock up most of the Titans' rushing attack. The Titans have been bottom three in passing attempts for three years straight, so if we stack players from the Titans, it's their running backs. You also find backfields that have these defined roles, whereas Derrick Henry had only 12% of his fantasy production in the passing game, which is extremely low. It's next to impossible in this day and age to finish inside the top 12 of the position when you derive so little production via the passing game. Top 12 running backs have closer to 50-50 production compared historically to numbers closer to a 2 to 1 ratio. So to find these kind of stacks, we want to find roles that are set in stone in concert with heavy volume or a possible game script regression for the team. Oh, and there are the odd handcuff scenarios, but they're rarely obvious ones. A deep dig cuff looks like Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines. Marlon Mack is a clear top 12 running back when he's on the field getting more than 40% snaps. In fact, he's talented to the point of skewing the Colts' run-to-pass ratio significantly when he's on the field. But Naeem Hines served admirably in his rookie year in Marlon Mack's absence. Hines was the RB10 for those four games that Marlon Mack missed. A lot of analysts would throw Hines and Mack into the game script category, probably saying something about Hines' standalone value. But that's actually far from the truth. Hines was running back 59 in the 12 games that Marlon Mack played. And I really wanted to spotlight that because it shows the floor and ceiling that comes with stacking. So to break the record for the biggest broken record, I believe in drafting running backs early, but only those inside of our top 15 rankings. But drafting Naeem Hines behind Marlon Mack is a creative way to circumvent that rule. So if we want to look ahead to this year, the best duo in my opinion might be Todd Gurley and Daryl Henderson. I feel we can expect top 10 running back production from Todd Gurley while on the field, And if his knee is subjected to swelling or worse, Daryl Henderson should be used so effectively he provides top 12 running back production in that offense. One more rare running back stack is stacking running backs with your team defense. While it's less common in best ball, if you do have a handful of DSTs in a tier, you can pair one of them with an elite running back on your team. When a team is a home favorite, we see DSTs have big outings, and that's actually synonymous with spiked running back weeks. And running back and tight end stacks are even more rare. Unless, of course, we're doing so inside stacking an entire offense, it's a hard stack to actually identify good values. But we know how old school some coaches are, and old school philosophy uses running backs and tight ends on the goal line. Plus, play action and goal line packages allow for easy touchdowns to tight ends in some offenses. So stacking your running back and tight end can capture a chunk of a team's predictable touchdowns. To stay with Marlon Mack, he and Eric Ebron fit the mold. Eric Ebron led the Colts in red zone targets in 2018, and in fact, Eric Ebron had two goal line rushing attempts, so he and Marlon Mack combined for 14 of the 18 carries inside the 5 for the Colts. And like I said, we can always throw Hines on that team anyways. And before I lose people, I better get back to playing the stacking hits here. Let's go through stacking wide receivers. That rug really tied the room together, did it not? Stacking wide receivers definitely goes hand in glove with quarterbacks. This is due to their production being so dependent on one another. So when identifying who to stack at wide receiver, the number one rule is volume, even ahead of touchdowns. That's because those high touchdown rate quarterbacks go in the early rounds of drafts. And the relationship between quarterbacks and wide receivers is so strong that it can actually bring with it volatility. 
So stacking your elite wide receivers with quarterbacks and others can decrease your overall floor from week to week. But our ability to build teams correctly with quarterback twos and other backups is why we never refrain from stacking. If we take Mike Evans in the second and OJ Howard in the sixth, we'd be crazy not to bump Jameis Winston to the top of our quarterback tier and target him. We should have confidence in the surrounding pieces adjacent to our stacks. The best wide receiver stacks are those on pass-heavy offenses or great schemes. Think the Falcons and Buccaneers or the Packers and the Rams for the latter. An easy stack to chase for the minority of your teams is Brandon Cooks in the 4th, Cooper Cup in the 5th or 6th, and Jared Goff in the 10th or 11th. We saw how those two wide receivers performed while on the field together, not to mention Jared Goff's performances when he had all his weapons available. This stack does not cost you too much, and those two wide receivers have dominated red zone targets from the wide receiver position on the Rams. And if we do see a diminished role for Todd Gurley, it's actually the three players above who stand to benefit the most. So I don't want to run on forever, but stacking wide receivers is a feel-it-out thing. You'll need to know if your team is insulated enough to endure stacking Josh Allen, John Brown, and Zay Jones. Or you'll need to remember that when you draft T.Y. Hilton, you can execute odd wide receiver pairings like pairing Paris Campbell to the T.Y. Hilton team build because these players may fill a similar role in a very deadly offense. And you can try a Debo Samuel to pair with your Dante Pettis shares hoping for a 49ers bounce back. Or a Geronimo Allison in Green Bay to counteract our MVS exposure, just knowing that one wide receiver should emerge in Green Bay. Six out of the last eight years, the wide receiver two for the Packers has been a top 36 fantasy option. So those are just examples of situations to chase, because pairing those two players in Green Bay is smart rather than entirely picking MVS to win that crown. And there really is a plethora of options for stacking wide receivers. You'll just have to get in some best balls and identify your favorites. And unlike wide receivers lacking a little bit in options to stack, let's go to tight ends. I hope you're not avoiding this call because of the rug, (laughs) which I assure you is not a problem. Stacking tight ends is an open book. Stacks involving tight ends usually depends on your draft position and when, of course, you take a tight end. But because I'm veering towards two tight end team builds more than three tight end teams, this leaves me unable to stack as much as I'd like. But when I draft a tight end in the first five rounds, it's George Kittle, Zach Ertz, or OJ Howard, and I do look to pair those three with their quarterbacks later in drafts, as well as pass catchers from that offense. A top win rate in best balls are quarterbacks and the wide receiver one and tight end one stacked together. Executing this stack is something you can only chase with particular teams. One I mentioned above was the Buccaneers. If I have a Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard certainly is a higher target of mine, knowing that I can pair Jameis Winston with him later. And like I touched on, you can also perform this stack in all rounds 11 on with the Ravens. So if possible, we do want this tactic at the forefront of our stacking priorities, but define the line between draft value and the offenses we're stacking players from. So make sure you're asking yourself as you navigate a draft, can we afford to stack Bill's pass catchers later if we take a Josh Allen here? But I certainly am kind of hashtag don't care about tight end. The tight end position as a whole has taken a nosedive in both targets and touchdowns in the last two years. I see only a handful of scenarios to stack tight ends outside of a pairing falling in your lap. One of my number one rules is if stacking a tight end, I make sure I'm doing so only in a condensed offense. And one strategy that's unique that I accept if you have three tight end team builds is to pair tight ends from the same offense. The ambiguity is widespread among tight end groups in the NFL, so you can do so cheap. 
Taking the Panthers tight ends Greg Olson and Ian Thomas should ensure you a tight end receiving decent target share and cost you two late round picks. Yeah, it's made with bits of real Panther, so you know it's good. And ambiguity definitely resides in New England. But to me, it seems Matt Lacoste is set to start, with Ben Watson providing the only real competition when he returns from suspension. So when stacking tight ends, the only time we want to prioritize it is when we have the team's wide receiver won and plan to draft the quarterback. But before we part ways, I want to touch on some quick stacking stuffers here. Team stacks is something you hear a lot about. There is merit to it for sure, but few teams qualify. You have to really find the value and determine which teams can take a big step from the previous season. We use Vegas books and prop bet odds to identify some teams the fantasy community is clearly undervaluing. A quick example this year would be the Eagles. You can stack as many as you want between Zach Ertz, Alshon Jeffrey, Miles Sanders, Carson Wentz, Deshaun Jackson, and Dallas Goddard, or even Jay Jaw and Nelson Aguilar. They can all present value when looking at Carson Wentz passing yards and touchdown projections. This team is buying risk, but if the outcome unfolds, you're predicting, voila. And these types of stacks move us into a kind of big tournament strategy. If you're playing a big tournament, stack till you nap. You need to predict an outcome for a team off the beaten path and hammer that scenario. The example I touched on before is the 49ers taking a huge step. Stack like five of those players from that offense. Or the Rams passing game, as I alluded to earlier. Get your hands on every single pass catcher in that offense. Because when you go from 11 opponents to opponents in the hundreds, you need to throw a lot of everything we know about best ball team building out the window. The best example is what you see every year in the Scott Fishbowl. Save the earth, etc, etc. So man, I know I ran too long, but really, thanks for rocking with me. I really appreciate it. Time to punch out of this yawn factory. I want to thank you for coming in today. 30 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. Well, isn't that convenient for you? Why didn't you say so? Come on, keep it coming. And the clock. That's it? I thought that those were just warnings. That's all I got. They were warnings. That's it. He lays it out for us to play it out. No one warned me. The lights, the noise. Don't act like you're not impressed. You do not have to pay me. I, I will do it for free. It's, it's all designed to inflame the senses. And they bought it. Can you believe it? That's what I've learned. I'm overstimulated. I gotta get out. Yeah, my ass is tired of sitting here jawing all night. I'm going to bed. So long, jerk. End of demo.